Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Good morning. Uh, thank you uh, for allowing me to be here this morning. Um, it's full house, yay. <laughs> um, our first Sanctity of Life Sunday, post Roe v. Wade. And I just want to, yeah, exactly, yay. Thank you so much for allowing me to come today. Um, you know, I'm not a professional speaker. And actually, this was the most terrifying thing I ever thought to even uh, think about ever doing. Um, but man makes his plans, right? But the Lord directs his steps. So I'm really honored to be here to share my testimony with you today and to serve you in the name of Christ. Can you just pray with me for just a moment? Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for being here today. Lord, I thank you for every person that walked through this door. I thank you for every person that's watching online. Lord, I know that there's no power in my words. It is your word and word alone that has power. I pray that hearts and minds will hear your word today. And I thank you that it will not return to you void. Lord, may there be less of me and more of you this morning. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. My name is Tammy Erste, and I am here today by invitation from your pastor and your pro-life leaders to come and speak to you and share my testimony and a little bit about what led me to my current work position at Grand Rapids Right to Life. I do not doubt it is the Lord's hand that has directed my steps. I wouldn't be here today if he hadn't. It is he alone who opens doors for me to walk through. And by doing so, I can humbly stand before you all today and share what he's done for me in my life. I currently am the pro-life ambassador at Grand Rapids Right to Life, which is the largest affiliate for Right to Life of Michigan. Our outreach programs, specifically my role there, is to directly link arms with the local churches and schools uh, and to help educate and engage them and more of their communities in the pro-life movement. I hope uh, that my testimony today will encourage you, strengthen, equip you to get more involved in the ongoing battle in our culture, and specifically our state, uh, for the right to have life and life abundantly. Before I share my personal story with you, and in light of the recently passed right to abortion up to the moment of birth, now enshrined into our Michigan State Constitution, I want to present you with these questions. How did we get here? Where do we go from here? And if the church does not speak up now, then when? While preparing for today, I asked my husband, how in the world can I express my gratitude in my heart for what Christ has done for me? 
how can I encourage others to stand firm against the rebellious and wicked culture we live in today? How can I motivate people to defend the most vulnerable in our society, the unborn, our children, women themselves? How can I provoke the church to talk openly about this topic when so many are afraid? How can I inspire others to stop being afraid and share their shame stories to help reach those who are deeply hurting right here today in the pews among the body of Christ? My husband gently reminded me that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We overcome when we tell the truth and humbly give God the glory due to his holy and righteous name. So that's what I'm going to do today. What I prepared two weeks ago after I went to the March for Life just this last couple days in Washington, D.C., I went home and I chucked it yesterday. (laughs) And I decided to share this with you instead. I will testify to all of you what God has done in my life because of his son's precious blood. And I hope that by doing so, it will encourage, inspire, provoke, and motivate you to shatter the shame on this taboo subject of abortion within the body of Christ. I'm not here to offend anyone. Yet what I will share today will undoubtedly offend some. The gospel message of grace and truth are two sides of the same coin. You can only have one with the other. Therefore, I pray that you will hear his heart through my story because I can do nothing. And I am nothing apart from Christ, my Savior and Lord. I believe the church has been given a unique opportunity in this generation. For such a time as this. As saints of Christ, commanded to stand firm with our waist girded with the belt of truth, we are called to testify and uphold righteousness, to speak the truth, while at the same time extending the hand of gentle grace and compassion to those who are lost, broken, hurting, poor, and blind. Our Savior and Lord commands us to walk in his light as he is in the light. And my prayer is that by the time we are through this morning, you will unashamedly and unapologetically shine in a world permeated with darkness because we know the truth by his grace. We know him. And the truth says in John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We are living in 
and experiencing a culture and a world like never before. John MacArthur calls it, quote, paganism 2.0 and describes it as a time like pre-Christianity. Evil is manifesting in ways like in the days of Noah. And it appears that the last of the last days is undoubtedly upon us. Every day, time and again. And I see it. And I have the conversations. The truth is being suppressed to degrees unlike we have ever seen. And although we have the hope of Christ and his appearing soon in our hearts, millions of others do not. We, the church, are responsible for running our race with perseverance and endurance, proclaiming the good news to others until the very last day. In the words of John Lewis, and I am paraphrasing here, if we see something that is not right, not fair, and not just, we have a moral obligation to do something about it. We will be held accountable for what we know. Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. The Bible further tells us in Hosea 4, 6, that God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. After this morning, you will not be able to walk away and say, I didn't know, because I am here to testify. In the year 2000 alone, according to estimates from Allen Gutmeyer Institute, their survey statistics in Michigan, there were 46,470 abortions. It grieves my heart to tell you this morning that my story is part of that statistic. And I never wanted to tell this story. I vowed to keep it hidden until my grave. My shame and guilt ran too deep. My sin and blood-stained hands were ever before me. We never truly know how depraved we are in our fallen human condition until we are put in certain circumstances and tested in our faith. Jeremiah 17.9 states, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Therefore, our Heavenly Father urges us in his wisdom to guard our hearts above all else, for it is the source of our life. As a self-proclaimed Christian in my early 20s, and while attending church regularly, I still did not know God's word. I did not read his word for myself, and I did not know how to guard my own heart. I was in bondage, and I kept asking the wrong question. What did I have to do for God to save me and love me more? I was truly broken. I was completely blind, but now I see. And because I now see, I'm inviting you to have a small glimpse inside my heart and mind on that dreadful morning more than over 20 years ago, if only for a moment, to help you understand 
what is at stake when we avoid talking about abortion in the church. I'm going to take you with me into that morning. The morning of. It's time to go. I'm not usually up this early. It is still dark outside. Am I really going to do this? I am so numb. How long have we been here? Time seems to be standing still. How long did we sit and wait until they called me? Were there others in the room with us? I cannot bring myself to look around. Why doesn't he say something? Why doesn't he take my hand to leave? Why doesn't he love me enough to want this baby with me? I can't bear my thoughts. I can't lose them. I love him too much, and it's too late. I made the decision. I can't back out now, can I? The room is cold, and I'm freezing in my open back gown. The nurse provides me with a pair of non-slip socks, like the ones they give you during a pelvic exam or a hospital stay. Yeah. Slipping and falling would be my biggest concern while I'm here. The nurse tells me to lie on the table bed. But today I will not be undergoing a routine checkup. I'm about to take the life of my unborn baby. Everything in me wants to bolt for that door. But my body remains glued to this icy table bed as if it's being held down physically from the signature on that dotted line. It's too late to leave because my boyfriend has already paid for it. My heart and mind are racing as I attempt to suppress the voice of truth pleading with my heart. I've convinced myself that this is the best and only way. My boyfriend, who awaits in the other room, will expect me to come out only having one heartbeat within me instead of two. He came with me to support me because he loves me, right? He didn't make me go alone, and he's waiting for me to take me home. Yeah, he cares for me, because most other girls just got dropped off, or they're doing it alone entirely. The nurse wants to give me an IV, but I hate needles. I don't even feel it enter my arm. I think they do an ultrasound, but I don't see it. Did they offer to let me see it? I told them I thought it was only a few weeks along. People are talking to me, but I can't understand them because my mind is so far away. I feel numb. And I do not remember the doctor entering the room, but he's here now. I want to flee. I feel sick with anxiety and fear. They tell me to put my legs up in the stirrups. How often up until this point had I been in this position? I can recall only a few when being examined to ensure everything was reproductively okay or for bringing life into this world, but not today. Today, I am permitting this 
person, this person of healing, to take the very life God was forming in the safety of my womb. It's so hard to think. I'm so numb. I feel so sick. Is this really happening? Am I about to kill my baby? I hear someone, and I believe it is the doctor. He's telling me he's about to dilate me and that I would begin to feel discomfort. Did they mention this beforehand? I don't remember them talking about dilation. It was all happening so very fast. I want to change my mind and leave, but I cannot find the courage or voice. I'm drowning in my decision, and I cannot come up for air. Something jolts me back into the present. It is a pain. Did he say discomfort? No, this was more than discomfort. This is pain. I begin to cry. It hurts. It hurts a lot. And I was foolish to believe it would be painless. I tell them it hurts, but they continue the procedure. I think the nurse is holding my hand, but I'm not sure. They're talking to me, but I don't hear them. I can only focus on the pain as the doctor dilates my cervix more and more to insert this device, this weird-looking tube that will ultimately murder my developing innocent baby. I'm no longer numb. I'm beginning to bear the weight of my choice as I cry out in agony. I'm unable to halt what was already set in motion. The doctor says the suction will begin now that there's full dilation. I hear the sound of the machine as it begins to violently suck out the life that once was growing within my belly. The procedure is over now. I look off to the side and saw what looked like a plain white gallon bleach bottle sitting on the floor and realized in horror that my dead baby was in there. Agonizing grief overwhelms me as I comprehend that my once alive and growing baby inside of me is now dead in that gross container. I'm empty. Waves of anguish and mourning flood me instantly as I yearn to take it back, knowing I cannot. I'm just empty. I wish I had died instead. I'm now in a different room, weeping uncontrollably in an oversized brown, ugly leather chair in a mildly lit area. I hear the nurse on the phone tell whom I can only presume is my boyfriend in the waiting room, I am sorry, but she is not ready to leave yet. She is inconsolable and needs more time. The only words I can find to say repeatedly are, God, please forgive me. Oh my God, please forgive me. Oh God, please forgive me. The drive home is unremarkable. I'm bleeding and cramping and want to sleep and never wake up. I can't even look at him. 
I can't remember who is taking care of my other daughter. Have I cared enough to even check on her yet? I don't remember if I called to check on her or not. I only want the pain to stop. I only want to take it all back. My boyfriend is taking me to his best friend's house to sleep and recover. I must stay somewhere where no one will know what I chose to do in secret. When we arrived, he told me he had told his friend and his friend's girlfriend why I was there. I hated him at that moment. I'm so angry and hurt, but what can I do about it? I made the choice. Who does he think he is telling others about this awful thing that I just did? God, I hope they never tell anyone else. I'm so ashamed that I can hardly bear it. I vow never to tell anyone as long as I live. I will go to my grave with this secret. Then I remember I had already told my mom the morning I found out I was pregnant. So I started working on a lie. And I concluded it was best to tell her I miscarried the baby. That was believable. It was the only way to explain why I was no longer pregnant without her finding out what I had chosen to do. My boyfriend helps me lie down on a bed in a dark room. He gives me more pain pills, which I gladly receive, and I lie down to sleep. Sleep is the only way I can stop crying and feeling. Sleep will prevent my mind from thinking or remembering anything about this terrible day. Yes, I will sleep and go far away. I wake up again later, but I don't know what time it is. It's very dark. I think I've slept the day away. It's so quiet. Hello? Is anyone here? No one answers. He left me alone. He left me to go out with his friends as if I just had a tooth pulled and not murdered our baby. He was free, and I am not. I did not dream it. Today was real. I murdered my baby. The thought makes me cry in emotional and mental agony all over again. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Psalm 51.4 The morning of August 16, 2000, was one of the worst days of my life. The other would be when I would devastatingly find out many years later that my ultrasound proved my baby to be eight weeks and one day old. I was not only a few weeks as I had believed. The doctor did not care to tell me otherwise. I mourn and weep still to this day when I remember. But God, who is rich in mercy. Romans 6.23 states, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Furthermore, it is grace upon grace that reminds us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 9. Christ keeps his promises and saves me in his faithful love. When I genuinely repented 
and sought his face, he began a good work in me. The moment I cried out to him for forgiveness, God redeemed me and started me on a journey of restoration that I am still on. Over the last several decades, he has brought many people along my path to help me heal from so many deep wounds in my heart. It has been challenging. But the transformation and sanctification journey was never promised to be easy. Jesus only promised to be with us through it and to hold us fast until the very end because he is worth it. I would find healing because of his grace, but it wasn't as easy as walking through the church's doors. Why didn't I think of going to the church for help? Was it because abortion was not talked about openly in the church? Perhaps that was part of the reason. Did you know that statistically many women and men in a crisis pregnancy affiliate themselves with a church and most identify as a Christian? In addition, these women and men have also said that the church is the last place they would seek help. Why is this? I'll tell you. It's because they say they feel less judged and feel more loved and accepted by the abortionist in their circumstances, their bad decisions that they've made than they do by the church. And that's before they decide to abort. Suppose these same women do make the horrible decision to have an abortion. In that case, the consequence of shame that naturally follows will only drive them further away from the one place that is supposed to offer them the hope that they need, Christ himself within the body of the church. It would be many years and only after healing that I would learn that pregnancy resource centers did exist, along with sidewalk counselors and other pregnancy help resources. Still, that information did not come from the church. I received no resources from the abortion clinic about other options besides abortion. That's to be expected, right? From them, but not from the church. Do you want to know how much it costs to get an abortion? Those who know the truth know it costs at least one human life but God knows it costs so much more. I learned over the years that many churches do not have the resources necessary to give to those who are abortion-minded or need abortion healing. Worse, many in the church today are still afraid to talk about abortion for fear of offending someone. They are anxious because they do not know how to navigate an abortion conversation. But fear and anxiety about simply talking to people is precisely why and how we've gotten to where we are, is it not? And because it is blatantly in people's faces today because of the political climate around it, the church can no longer put it off. It has to talk about it. And we must. Why? Because abortion... Although many people think 
it's just really political or too political to talk about in church. It's actually a direct assault on Almighty God and those who bear his image. And 1 Peter 3, 14 through 15 charges us that even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be shaken, but in your heart sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you, but respond with gentleness and respect. If we were honest, isn't it why we already have this problem in our churches? Silence because of fear of offending and lack of God's word in our hearts in preparation for every circumstance and every conversation. May God forgive us if we remain silent any further. As I begin to wrap up this morning, I want to charge you with this. James 2, 12 through 14, the voice version says this. So live your life in such a way that acknowledges that one day you will be judged. But the law that judges also gives freedom. Although you can't expect to be shown mercy if you refuse to show mercy. But hear this, mercy always wins against judgment. Thank God. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't make any sense to say you have faith and act in a way that denies that faith. Mere talk never gets you very far, and a commitment to Jesus only in words will not save you. As one commentary writer expressed his thoughts on this verse and the abortion issue, he said, James explains the fruit of our salvation. Saving faith is a faith that works. We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation, right? It is not a faith that is shallow, insincere, or hypocritical. The works that flow out of salvation directly result from our gratitude for the amazing grace poured on sinners just like us from the cross. And far, far too long, much of the church has been silent on abortion. It's too offensive, it's political, and shameful to discuss in church. But now is the time to shatter that shame and silence. It took me over 21 years to fully receive and understand God's merciful grace and forgiveness after that dreadful day. It took over 21 years to receive his grace and allow the gospel's truth to penetrate the deep wounds in my aching heart and soul. What will the church decide to do today? Millions, like me, are being led to the slaughter while many remain silent because of fear. We must decide if we're willing to tell people the truth, even if it costs us everything. And it just might. But is not Christ worth it? We must stop being afraid of what man can do to us, pick up our cross, follow Jesus, and be reverently fearful of the one who can not only take our body from us, but also cast our very soul into hell. Sir Edmund Burke said, All that is required for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. But I say this to you today. There is no one good, only God. 
And he is the one at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 Therefore, will you, church, remain silent as women and men suffer in their most vulnerable circumstances? Or will you engage in this battle without fear, knowing and trusting in the one who said he has already overcome this world? Consider my testimony and fight like heaven so someone else's story can be different. This choice is yours. And it just might save a precious life. I want to close with some words that perhaps most of you are familiar with. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the father turns his face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders, Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought us life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should we gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. This, the power of the cross, son of God slain for us. What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. Amen and amen, Lord. I want to thank you for listening and for having me out today. I brought a few resources with me, and I will stick around after to answer any questions anyone has. Please hear me. If you are in a crisis pregnancy today, I want you to know you are not alone and there is help. We have people here that want to help you. And if you or someone you know has had an abortion in your past decades ago or even yesterday, I want you to know that you are not alone and there is help. Please do not leave without talking to me or someone from the church here. You did not come today by mistake. God meant for you to hear this message today. Thank you. And may the Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you always. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.